You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that from all different fields are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Welcome back to another episode of Grit and Grace. And today I'm really excited because we are hanging out at Workability in Denver. And so if you are an entrepreneur or you have space that you need to work out of to have meetings or to run your business, come to this place because I'm telling you this location in Denver and it's workability.works. Not only do they have like this incredible workspace and offices and this good vibe and awesome plants, but you know what? I got to make a waffle. Like they have a cafeteria. They offer like waffles as you come in. Anyway, so (laughs) workability.works. So thank you very much for hosting Grit and Grace today. And our guest today, she actually anchors Colorado's own. It's a live show every morning on Channel 2, or if you're in Colorado, we kind of know that as Fox 31. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. on weekdays. So she starts her day at 4.30 a.m. Actually, she doesn't start her day at that time. That's the day that she starts her work day. (laughs) So she starts earlier. But she's also a mother to three, and she's a woman that has been in the TV business for two decades. She's covered hurricanes, moderated, gubernatorial debates, I hope I said that right, interviewed political figures and Hollywood stars from around the world. And you know what? She has received numerous awards for her work um, in feature TV, in medical and investigative reporting. And this is because, you know what? She is so comfortable sitting in places with people and having conversations that honestly, can be uncomfortable and difficult at times. And she does that because she understands the power of sharing somebody's story. And I like that she said one of the things that to her is the greatest compliments that someone can give her is the honor to feature their story, to host their story. So let's welcome Natalie Tisdall to the show. Thank you for joining me. Did I say Tisdall right? You got it, Tisdall. Tisdall, Tisdall. I know, Tisdall, Tisdall. Well, thank you for joining me. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really nice to to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I feel like you are, I want to call you a wise woman because you have shared stories in situations that are not easy. And you know, I, I maybe have done a, a, a minuscule portion of that in my podcast at storytelling and holding space for people to share their truth and what they've learned. And you've done that for so long in your career that I can only imagine how much it's impacted you as a woman. Oh, hugely. Yeah. Um, I feel so lucky over the course of my career and um, in life to be able to tell other people's stories. It's really what my passion is, to be able to listen to people, to be able to um, expose something that might need to be exposed, Mm. or just to get to know people Mm. and to have the opportunity to do that um, in a public way has been a blessing in my life. Yeah. But it can't always be easy. No, it's not. And uh, part of being on a television program is that a lot of what we do in broadcast news is not news that I want my kids watching. It's not news that I enjoy hearing every day, but I have to kind of take it back to reality and say, 
Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. So yeah. knowing what's happening in the world is important. It's easy in on the weekends for me to just shut it off, and then I come back on Monday and I have to catch up. Mm-hmm. And I think of that for people who don't ever watch the news with as rotten as it is sometimes, that knowledge is power. We have to know what's happening in the world and around us in our communities. And we try to balance that where I am, and I think most news organizations, but especially at Channel 2 and Vox 31 here in the Denver area, we try to balance that. You know, it's not all bad. We have to cover the bad, uh, but we balance that with good and inspiring, too. Yeah. And you you actually do. You, you guys share good stuff that's going on in the community. You talk about... Um, different ways that people are doing good things. And I, I like that. But I also can understand that sometimes it would be difficult if you were in a position to curate your content, right? Because as a journalist, you're a journalist. And so you're sharing the facts. Your goal is to share the facts. Yep. So to, to get that knowledge out into, in our case, in Denver, to the people that are listening. Um, but is it sometimes, does it sometimes feel like there's content that's curated from your station? I don't know enough to know if that's a reasonable question to ask, but... I feel like it's sometimes people think different news stations or news outlets have different slants based upon political beliefs of those that make the decisions for those stations. I definitely think at the national level we see yeah. more of that yeah. than when I started in the broadcast business. Um, less, I think that that's a case in on, in local TV. Okay, you know, it's 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 pretty balanced. I mean, we have editorial meetings. We'll take each other to task if someone's acting that way. Mm. But our editorial meetings and our ability to lay out what's there, get both sides of the story is is pretty good. Yeah, no, really I'm really good. glad to hear that. And yeah. I understand it maybe that is more of a national um, a national issue. In fact, I was, I mean, we're not going to talk about politics today. This Please, is not no. about politics. We're not going to. We're totally not going to. Stay but here. I, don't but go I, away but from what I was what I was reading is somebody was talking about how one particular national news outlet had a particular focus based upon, you know, being right or left wing. And it's funny because when I they said that, I hadn't noticed that. And it made me wonder, mm. oh, am I receiving content, though, in a way then that isn't neutral? And the person that was writing this article was basically just saying, hit multiple sources. Absolutely. And especially on the, on the big political things, which is why we're not talking about it. But hit multiple sources to learn because knowledge is power. That's where knowledge is power comes in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's really exciting. So how did you get into TV in the first place? I mean, two decades. That's that's 20 years. Let's see. How long is the podcast? <laughs> um, so I... I went to the University of Nebraska in journalism school. I didn't start out as a journalist, and it's and we've talked before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've enjoyed meeting you and your beautiful daughter. Yeah, Our you. daughters are the same age. Yeah. Um, and uh, college for me, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I took a couple of classes in journalism and thought I was going to do more public relations, and ended up in the journalism school. That I actually started um, an internship as a photographer. Um, I love photography, loved videography, and uh, got that job, which led me to producing, which led me to reporting, which eventually led me to doing reporting, producing, and anchoring. And I'm thankful to have been in the business long enough where um, I had to do all of that when it was a whole lot more difficult. And I'm thankful for that because it taught me to work really hard. Um, We didn't have digital. Gosh, I'm aging myself. We weren't (laughs) digital. We were on tape. Like we had to put a tape in a machine and roll it, and it was much more difficult to edit. But I learned all of that um, early in my career. Um, bounced around the country um, from Nebraska to Idaho, small town Idaho, to Alabama, um, to Texas and Dallas before coming here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so really got to learn a lot about a lot of people and tell a lot of different stories. Um, but back to your original question, why did I decide to go into journalism? Um, so when I was in college, I can tell this story now. It's still, it's still hard for me. It's still a story that I guess everyone in their life has something that makes their heart race um, often. Um, and for me, that was a college story of being assaulted by a football player. I'm sexually assaulted in college. And I was in the College of Journalism, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I decided to make my story public. It was a really, I, it was one of those things in life where you feel like I have to do the right thing. I didn't want to do the right thing, but I had to do the right thing. Um, my heart just told me I had to. I met another young girl who was assaulted by the same person and, um, and had a much more difficult uh, road in telling that story. So I decided that I was going to be the one that would tell the story. It became public, became a big story, became a national story. And I was so beat down and distraught over how the story was told and the reaction that I got. And um, I was at the University of Nebraska during its national championship days. Mm-hmm. And so and football's a thing. Football in, is a big thing. In Nebraska, and It was yeah. a big part of my life. I grew up there. And so for people to say, how dare you, he was one of the top players. I didn't even know who he was when the incident happened. And, but I was going to do the right thing. And I stood firm on that. And it took over two years for the case to process. And, um, and again, this was over 20 years ago. But it is still something that makes my heart race. And people, when I tell this story, and I don't tell it very often, but when I do, people come to me and they all have a story that's similar. Mm-hmm. from either a family member or another random case. Sometimes it's not even sexual assault, it's assault, or it's some something else that they're afraid to tell that story. And at the time, it was the worst thing in my life. At the time, I didn't know how I was ever going to get over it. But I decided that I wanted my mission in life to be to tell someone's story and do it accurately. And that, as I said, or as you read in my bio, that telling someone's story is the greatest compliment anyone could give me because they're trusting me. Mm-hmm. And and so I remind myself of that often um, in what I do because I know how it feels to be on the other side. I know how it feels to have someone else tell your story and to do it accurately is so important. And that is an extreme amount of empathy and compassion that you developed in your experience. Um, and, and maybe even your ability to um, trust as much as they trust you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, that is that's amazing what you did. So kudos to you. I'm sure that there are so many women that heard your story or have heard you share it since that you've given courage to because of that. I hope so. It's because it's not easy. I, I can't. I mean, I can for. actually feel it in my gut when you're explaining how. Difficult that must have been because, first of all, I know Nebraska, <laughs> and so I I can s- assume that most of this was not received very well in all areas of your community. That must have been tough. You know, a whole other podcast on the topic because yeah. we've come a long way, um, but we have so far to go. I mean, the the industry. Um, I am a huge sports fan. My daughter is. My husband is. My my daughter's studying sports business. Like this is this is something we care deeply about. Mm. But we have to hold. Um, we have to hold people accountable. 
Yeah, we we can have another podcast about that. Or of course, you know you know what I think that you need to be doing. So I'm I'm going to become an advocate of <laughs> you making a permanent place behind a podcast microphone. <laughs> I'm thinking it looks pretty fun. <laughs> it looks pretty fun. <laughs> and but I I also feel like you have a lot of not just your own stories to share, but you have space to tell other stories that people that you have shared on other people's behalf that sometimes just gets told once and it, it gets lost and. You could create it in a way that might create longevity out of what you've learned. You know, the people, I'm so fortunate to meet so many people. I mean, we do four and a half hours of live TV every day. Okay, first, can we just talk about live TV for a minute? Because <laughs> the, moment, the moment that you say live TV, and I've done some live TV segments, I've done some media work, and it's not the same people as when they can edit things out. It's not the same. So how do you manage the sort of the energy that it takes to do live TV? I know I'm going on a tangent, but I think no, the live okay. TV part is important. Yeah, it's very different. For me, um, just because I've done it so long, it's easier than taped. As soon as we start taping something, I go, oh, wait, can we do that again? Yeah. But when it's live, you just go, and mistakes yeah. are okay. And, and you know, you're going to flub. You're going you're gonna to say a person's name wrong, and then you correct yourself, and you admit to it. And you're just going to have issues like that. But I'm more comfortable in a live situation than I am even sitting here taped. Isn't that interesting? It's so true. Well, you'll be happy to know that we don't really edit our our <laughs> okay. show. Okay. So most Let's of what just pretend it's live. We're gonna pretend it's live. Okay. So those of you that are listening, this is live. <laughs> no, I one thing um, that I laughed about before we started to record is I said, Well, we try not to swear. But then I say, you know, it's me. I'm usually those of you that listen to the show, you know that I'm the one that swears, but you don't swear because you're on live TV, so you're probably good at not swearing. <laughs> My filter. Has become pretty good. Your filters become good. Yeah, um, yeah. I think about that. It's it is interesting. There is something really special when you can go and flow and not be concerned about what's happening. Like what you said two seconds ago. I mean, correcting it. Right. This is what we do on this show. I mean, we've we've made lots of errors. Me and my guests. We've said some really funny things sometimes. And then in the moment, you just correct it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. That's yeah. life. But that's right? real. Yeah. That's real. And yeah. it's it's okay to say I think I said that wrong. Let's correct yeah. that or. Like your last name. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So, yeah, that's interesting. So you've just gotten used to it. I mean, I'm sure you would have had a different answer a few years into your career if I was to ask you about live TV. Did you ever get, like, the fluttery? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yes. And I think uh, as my daughter does theater. She's my younger one. And I always tell her, like, when you have those butterflies, that's going to make you good. Like, that's okay. If you lose that, it's not as fun. So sure, yeah, I think it's good for yeah. you when you get that feeling. I did a, a like an opening remarks at a women's empowerment conference um, this last weekend, and it's her name is Becky. She did a great job. It was her first conference that she had planned. It was amazing what she put together, and I I'm really comfortable on the topic that I was talking about, which is the power of your voice, and which is of course what we're talking about today. And I started by talking about storytelling and sharing our stories and how much wisdom we have as individuals because none of us get through life without some type of trauma. Like we have to we have to get over things in life in order to exist and continue on. Actually, we don't have to, but if you don't, your quality of life is going to suffer. Um, and so I I was very comfortable on the topic of what I was talking about, but I always get a little bit nervous. Like I can feel it, you know, and, and like you, I, I choose what I wear so my sweat doesn't show. <laughs> Smart girl. <laughs> I'm like, I know if I, my arms start flailing and anyway, but I, I, I know that I look at nerves now, not as 
nerves, but as excitement because you know what? This matters. I want this yep. to be great for the person that invited me to be That's there. That's why you have the nerves. Yeah, because it matters. it matters. If yeah. it didn't matter, you would just feel nothing. Yeah, good good advice. And if that happens and you, you stop having nerves to something that's really important, um, maybe that's something to think about then. Boy, that's good. That's really good insight too. And I tell I, I, I say this about my daughter who's 15 in theater because I remember those feelings and I tell her that it means you care, it means that you're excited about it, and it's good luck. Yeah, I like that. It is good luck. Yeah, I think that it's something people face commonly when they're do a lot of public speaking. I mean, you are at the one end of the scale of public speaking on live TV, but there are lots of women specifically that um, work in fields that have to do presentations or don't choose to do public presentations but have to as a part of their yeah. job. And they say that it's the highest level of fear yeah. that women have is public speaking. And it's it's higher than what men's fear is. I mean, men fear public speaking as well, but women, we are... We are the large majority of where that fear comes from public speaking. And I don't know if you know this, but even in the big realm of like keynote presentations and conference speakers, it's still way less than half is women. Is that right? And podcast hosts, less than 20% are women. We need to change that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a thousand reasons why. Mm. I mean, look at look at what happens for you. I'm sure you get people that make comments on how you dress and what you look like and what you wear. I mean, we have so many things to worry about. I mean, it'd be really easy for me to just tell people, just go tell them to F off. Like, who cares? I mean, I got a full sleeve of tattoos. Oh, I have felt and I, like it. <laughs> I know, but you and you can't. But how to tell people to just not care? Yeah. Um, that is, I feel like it's a muscle. Like being able to keep... Mm other people's opinions on the outside of your opinion of yourself. I mean, mm. you can listen, you can hear it, you can see it, but to not let it penetrate, like to me, that's like a boundary muscle that you have to build. Do you think that comes with age? Because yeah. I am much better at that than I used to be. Now, part of that's probably experience, yeah. but learning to, uh, learning to, to just not care. Yeah. And I think probably, probably growing up, uh, in a family where we cared what people thought and what would the neighbors think and, you know, um, having to build that muscle. And now, and I think definitely we call it thick skin, right? Yeah. And being on television, you definitely, and I'm still sensitive. You know, of course it hurts when someone tells you that you said something wrong or you look funny or have you gained weight or whatever. When you're on TV, you just expect that people are going to nitpick you. Yeah, and I don't like that at all. So I mean, just another just know reason that to I'm, do a podcast. Yes, another reason to do a podcast. <laughs> so, although it is good to do it on video too. But sure. we'll okay. No, no, you can turn your audio into video and put up. But I, I do think that that is that's a thing that women we are just not necessarily very good at. And you're right, maybe from a young age. So we have to build that in our daughters. Mm-hmm. We have to build that, but it's still hard. I mean, you know, we have daughters that are 19. My 19 year old daughter, she is still sensitive, and actually, she's probably mostly sensitive to me. <laughs> Right. And she's, but she's still sensitive. And it doesn't matter how many times we have conversations about it. And I would say that she's probably unique in the sense that she really doesn't care what somebody else thinks, especially boys. She really does not care because she has a really strong sense of her style and herself. But there will be this a situation where somebody will say something in a way it's like a penetration, it like penetrates into directly to her heart. And, you know, of course, for me, I want to say what. Their opinion yeah. is, is not your business. But especially when they say it on social media. Yeah. You know, know, and that's a boy, whole different world and a whole nother podcast because it lives oh. there where all their friends might see it. And so, yeah, teaching them to be thick skinned about that and saying, doesn't matter. 
So I guess that's how we change that. We start, we have those conversations as much as we can with our girls. But yeah, I think it's an age thing for us, for you and I, I think it's age. Um, and I'm not, I don't, you know, we won't talk about age, but I know that we're both of an age where you get to a point where you start to realize that you're comfortable in yourself. You're comfortable yes. with your choices. And when you can look at yourself really comfortable in a mirror and know that you've done something well, you've done your best, or you know, even just that you are empowered to say, okay, yeah. you know what? I feel good looking like this, especially yeah. on the physical traits. Yeah. You start to realize that everything else is just, it's just noise. It's like background noise. Yeah. And I have a bit of a motto too, that if, if you really care, because in the broadcast business too, you, you want to be appealing to, um, to a large audience, right? So to men, to women, to elderly, to young, because you want them all to watch you. We're local television. Um, but, but I've always felt like if you're just vanilla, I like vanilla ice cream, by the way, but if you're just vanilla, who are you speaking to? You know, it's okay to have convictions. It's okay to have an opinion. Even being a news person, we're almost like sheltered and you can't have an opinion, but I do, especially when it comes to women's rights, when it comes to um, people who've been hurt, standing up for themselves, telling their story with conviction. Um, so just being too too neutral, I think, can be harmful. And mm. for us to teach our kids, don't be. Have an opinion. Have a voice. And don't be afraid of that. Mm, I love that so much because you're talking about being unique. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. That's, a re- that's really interesting. And for you, is that the case? Are you able to, like, take your opinion and how you feel and address it in the work you do in the community? Yes, I think for the most part. I mean, we stay away from politics. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, certainly, especially when it comes to community issues. Um, I'm really involved in and have been for many years in education and really yeah. taking a stand on on that and standing up for what our kids deserve and what they should have and um, with victims and the victims' rights associations and things like that. Sure. And weren't you a part of a like the work done to start a new school yes, in Colorado? Yes, Tell us I'm about so that because I think that. that that's that's I, I think that that's absolutely amazing. Thank you. I didn't know you knew about that. Did I tell you about oh, that? Oh, I'm a good stalker. <laughs> you <Yeah>. are <laughs> like a journalist too. Uh, yes. So um, I have three kids: 19, 15, and 10. And when my oldest was a toddler, we moved to Colorado. And we thought that a school was being built in our neighborhood. And I'll give you the short version of the story. Um, and then when she was four, uh, just before kindergarten, the school hadn't been built. And there was this big sign that said future home of the school. So I called the school district and uh, <laughs> it became a mission uh, because the school district said, you know, we don't think there's enough, there are enough kids to come to a school here. So um, I called a friend of mine. We surveyed the community and in the course of... Like two or three years, we found that in our community, the kids were going to 25 different schools. Holy gadzooks. But the school district wasn't aware of that because they hadn't surveyed. They only knew the kids that were in the school in that district. So um, I had a conversation with the superintendent at the time, and he said, you know, we're probably not going to build a school, but if you came up with an original idea for a school— we might be interested in that because we're looking for some alternative programs from our general education. Um, you see these types of schools much more on the East Coast, magnet schools. Mm-hmm. So a charter school would be run more by parents. A magnet school is a specialized program within a district. So challenge taken. Yeah. Um, I looked up some of the top performing magnet schools in the country and uh, modified a few of them into a program and wrote a business um, plan for what the school would look like, not knowing if anybody would bite. Took it to the school district. This was about 10 years ago. 
And uh, the school district said, or it was much more than 10 years ago, so the school's 10 years old. And the school district said, we like it. We're going to do it. And so there, that, that's when the school, uh, the ball was rolling and we got things started. And it's, um, it's a magnet school. It has specialized programming and how the brain um, registers information differently. It stores differently, much more hands-on. Um, the learning environment is really important at the school. Um, so my son, my, all three of my kids have gone there. My son's in fourth wow. grade. And I'm really proud of it. It's a, it's a great school. That is absolutely incredible. And, and, you know, there's nothing like a mom who gets told <laughs> something's going to happen for the kid and you can't have this. And and then they say, oh, well, you do that and we'll do this. And it's like, okay, it's on. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> the power of that emotion yes, from a mom. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much. Good for you. You And see, another way in which you have impacted like not just the kids' lives that are there now, but imagine the families and generations forward. I mean, you're impacting those kids and their future kids one day. So, woman, you have made like major change. That's Thank amazing. You. Well, with a lot of help along the way, a lot of people who believed in it mm. and signed up and said, "We'll come if you build this school." Um, it's been it's been fun to take a step back yeah. and just be a mom at yeah. that school now. So, a lot of people don't know even at the school. Well, they're going to know. Um, well, they didn't know. We're we'll going to about the podcast. Yeah, but gonna... I always thought uh, before I was in journalism, I really thought I'd be a teacher. And I have such an appreciation for educators, um, especially as a mom who often gets impatient with my kids. Now I have an even greater appreciation. Now, my impatience, I always say, comes from being tired all the time. <laughs> but are all moms yeah. <laughs> tired all the time? Yeah. But I have such a deep appreciation for those um, who work with our kids and who inspire them and teach them. Yeah, and today, and keep them safe. I mean, add Absolutely. that piece in. That's a third piece that we didn't have to worry about so Not much kidding. when we were young, but that's a, an additional burden that is put on people who are in, in charge. I mean, they literally have everybody's child in their charge every and single day. And they have safety day. kits. And they have, I mean, this is a, yeah. I agree with you, actually. I have, I've always been very respectful and kind to any teacher that has come into my kid's life, even if it's for a class or a course or or a a full day, whatever it might be, just because I understand the importance of the fact that I am just automatically giving them trust to keep my child healthy, educated, and safe. I mean, that I have a child with food allergies, like life-threatening food allergies. So when I pass my kid off, you know, when he was younger into classes where, you know, eating a nut and he could die is, is, that's a, that takes a lot, right? And so, and I, I have always recognized that we are very fortunate for the people that educate our kids. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. And you you made a new you made a new avenue for that. So that's amazing. Thank you. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about some of your experiences as a journalist, things that you might have learned or any stories that you want to share around how storytelling has really truly impacted someone's life. So any mm. examples that you have that maybe you can share on how we as women are really learning to be more powerful or intentional in how we share our stories. Because one thing I know in this show is, you know, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of women, as have you, you're probably in the thousands. You know, we come up with a lot of the same challenges, right? We, we do hear some of the same challenges that come up over and over again. And I commonly ask, like, why do you think as, as women we hold back? Like, what, what is it that mm. is, you know, over the generations have taught us to be less, be softer, be quieter, you know, don't don't rock the boat. And then my second part of that question is, and why is that changing now? 
Oh, like boy. what? Right? There's I mean, like ten questions in that I know. question. Sorry, I'm really good. Oh, By the way, I'm really, really good, good at like putting like a big question that has yeah. like a hundred answers. So let's start with maybe some examples of stories that you've told or experiences you've had in your career as a journalist that have really made impact. Well, I've I've been so fortunate to have different beats, as we call it, in in the newsroom. Um, early on in my career. I love career. it. We just started journalist talk. I'm going to use that now. Okay. Different beats. Okay, Different got beats. It. Got and it. a beat within a newsroom is one person follows a topic so that not everybody's following the same topic. Ah. So we might have a crime beat and then an education beat or, you know, on and on. Gotcha. And you could have multiple. But in my career, I've had several. Sometimes it can get um, overwhelming having just one thing you get tired of covering, but you become an expert in that. So for many years... Um, I covered health news, mm. and I will say my favorite thing to do was to be able to tell a story that changed someone's life because I was able to report it. Uh-huh. So it might be something as simple of, as a, a, a procedure that used to be very invasive, but now there's this one doctor who's doing a microscopic type of uh, procedure on this particular illness that someone hears and they say, I had no idea. And what it taught me was um, to be a more resourceful that there is always, we talk about this with our kids, like resourcefulness and finding the right person with your son with a yeah, nut allergy. Yeah. Like, I'm going to find that expert because there are people out there. So as a health reporter, I loved being able to tell these stories. And then I would love hearing people call or email the station and say, I had no idea. Mm. My mom was able to take this new medicine that my doctor didn't even know about. Or I had that procedure that I didn't even know I was a candidate for hadn't even heard of the procedure, whatever that is. So I love doing health news because it was rewarding. Um, It was usually happy (laughs) because I could talk about new things. Um, And I think what it taught me early in my career was that resourcefulness to keep looking. And I think with the story I told you about education, that's where that came from too. Just Mm. that, well, if not me, who? Who's going to do this? Same thing with the story of sexual assault for me. If not me, I didn't have skeletons in my closet when I was, you know, 21-year-old young woman to go, well, I don't want to tell my story because they might find out about that thing. What woman should ever have to think about that when they've been sexually assaulted? But I felt like, if not me, who? I need to be able to tell this story. Then it, to further that story, several women came forward after saying, you gave me the courage to do that same, the same person that they had been assaulted. But it, back to the telling stories and health news. And then later in my career, um, when I worked in Texas, I was an education reporter. It gave me a chance to dive then, which probably led to when I got here, having such a passion for that in understanding how different teachers um, can inspire kids, what they do. Um, And just, it taught me to be um, more resourceful with that. So um, I kind of went off on my own tangent no, there. In, that, no, that's a perfect example of how you have in your career been able to tell stories in a way that have created impact. But I also want to say that I think it's interesting that you had, and I'm going to use a, a, the beat word because I like that, you had an educational beat. Is that what yes. you were calling? Yay! <laughs> um, you had that before you came here, mm-hmm. which means that was probably like setting the stage. You know, I, I'm kind of a spiritual being, right? So I, I believe that you probably were given that so you could learn what you needed to learn. So when you got here, you had it in you to be able to do what you did with that school. Because if you did not have that beat, you might not have. Yeah. So I, I love how it's the very universe true. makes things and like I that never, happen. I never thought back 
when I was yeah. uh, working on that school here in Colorado. I never thought back, oh yeah, my my experience as an education porter probably helped me here. It never it never occurred no. to me. But it's those little things along yeah. the way that definitely put us, I believe, a spiritual person as well, put us exactly where we need to be at a later stage in life yeah. that we might not have ever been. Sometimes it just takes us a while to figure it out. Sometimes we're not meant to know why. I mean, I think that maybe that's why I connect with you so well is because you you surrender to the flow, right, for yourself. And, and I feel that in you and I see that in you when you're on TV. Actually, you you are very good at flow within yourself and that spiritual mm. connection. I just realized that that's probably what I had sensed in you. Do you ever fight that, though? Mm. Do you fight that flow or do you surrender to it? Um, not anymore. I don't. I, I mean, this podcast is a perfect example. Like, I, gosh, this was 2017 and I was starting my own business and you know, I one kid left in high school, one kid in college, and I was putting it all on the line to start my company and this random push to do this podcast and start featuring stories at the time was really just about women who came into my circle and helped me with my business. Mm. That's how it started is I felt like all of these really badass, bad booty. <laughs> That's a good word. Oh, no. <laughs> women that run really successful businesses, they yep. actually came into my life and just helped me. And I thought, okay. I am an extroverted person. I am good at finding what I need to know. I'm resourceful. Mm. And, but I know that the percentage of female-owned businesses that ever reach six figures is less than 13%. Wow. And I didn't like those odds. And so I thought I'm going to do my part, right? I'm going to bring these women that have helped me just have a good talk and put it out. And I, I'm, I'm doing hand motions here. But like I recorded like a handful of shows and thought a handful of people would listen I didn't know that what would happen is thousands and thousands of women would listen, and men actually. There are big chunks of time where I've had like 40% men um, that have listened and tuned in to hear the female perspective. And so I think that that was the first really opportunity that I looked back and knew that I was given information intuitively to do something, but it made no sense. Yeah. But I did it anyway. Yeah. I, I surrendered. And I'll tell you, it took me six months, right? Like I had borrowed equipment from my really good friend, Caitlin, and you know her, her significant other gave me microphones and a soundboard, and I didn't even know how to use it. And I went to another friend. I went to the owner of Colorado Krav Maga, who you know used to do all kinds of like audiovisual work and had to teach me how to... <laughs> To, like even how to sound check a microphone. <laughs> well, you're pretty good at it. I watched you. <laughs> I mean, now I'm good at it, but I kept doing it even though it wasn't going to, yeah. I didn't, didn't see how it was going to impact my business. I didn't know why I needed to do it. And I didn't, I didn't have any sort of outcome plan because I didn't know why I was doing it, but I totally yeah. surrendered. And from then on, I don't, I don't question that intuitive energy that I receive. I don't do that. I, I am at a place in my life that I, I try to teach my kids now. Like, do you, are you, are you feeling like when you have a decision mm -hmm. to make, do you feel what's right? Learning to, to tune in with that is a big deal and so important, but it's taken me, I would say into my forties to really trust that. And I, I think I'm good at it now, but a way that I look at those um, those types of decisions when it comes to what am I going to do next in my life or what's going to be the next thing or is this best for my kids is I always say, um, you know, the door keeps opening and I keep slamming it shut and it just keeps opening. And I visualize that like, and I, I pray about it. God, if you want me to do this, keep opening those doors because I'm going to slam them. But if they just keep opening... I'm going to know that that's what it is. And that's when I then trust that gut feeling we talk yeah. about and know that that's right. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're right. We do sometimes not always easily surrender. I would say we put up a little fight sometimes. I do. <laughs> I do. I mean, but sometimes I'm, I put up that fight 
to know. For reassurance. Right. Yeah. Because we don't want to just roll over on anything. And and the other thing too is, is that I think that intuition and you have a really strong practice. I don't know if you've listened to any of my sacred November shows, but I did an interview with an Oracle and you know, I have a group of sisters that I practice with spiritually. And so I interviewed each of them and they all, you know, very different gifts, but our, our goal is, you know, as light workers and as workers of the dark and as high priestesses and um, goddesses, like we do a lot of work spiritually, even though some of us have like big, you know, corporate jobs that we do as yeah. well. We, you know, we spend a lot of time like talking about how how to trust what you feel, and I mean, there are practices around that. And you know, anyway, that's a whole side topic. That's a whole other podcast. A whole other, I mean, we have like five podcasts <laughs> we've know. just identified here. <laughs> we should brainstorm we should more brainstorm. often. I mean, or we're just going to get behind the microphone more often there and have go. these conversations. But I think writing it down and just sitting with it for a little bit is 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 key. And one thing that you said that is so important, which I think we can all teach our children. So any of you that are listening to this, whether you have kids or partners, anyone in your life, if they're facing a question, that is a really good place to start is how does your body feel right now when you ask that question Mm. or you make that statement? Where do you feel something in your body and what does that feel like? And, you know, it's interesting, you and I were just talking before we were recording that I'm making some changes in some areas of my business. And I've been sitting with this question for a little while. And I asked myself like last week, like, how does it feel to do this part of your business? How does that feel? And you know what? It feels not good. Mm. Like I, I knew that that was the decision to put this piece of what I'm doing to the side for a little while because the feeling I was getting, and I can tell you exactly where in my body I felt it. And I'm like, huh. But what took me two months to ask that question? Because I know to ask those questions. I teach Isn't this to people. To ask me. And yep. I sometimes... Because I didn't want the answer yet. I wasn't ready to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I'm aware. I know. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to hear what our body's going to tell us. That's but the truth, too. But it's there if we want it. And being able to talk about it being and finding people it. who sometimes will help bring that out yeah. in you or being just being able to vocalize it, I, I have found has made a big difference. Writing it mm. and then being able to talk about it. Yeah. So do you have, I mean, do you talk to your children about your spiritual beliefs and using your intuition and decisions? Absolutely. Yes. Um, You know, when you have a 19-year-old daughter who lives halfway around the country, you say, Mm -hmm. you know what's right. Mm -hmm. You can feel it when it's right. I know you know. You're a good decision maker. And I I try to balance that type of, we could do a whole other thing on parenting, Mm -hmm. but the parenting of, um, I believe in you. I know you know what the right decision is, to me, is very powerful. Because kids are naturally going to question themselves, and they're going to come and come to us, what should I do? And I just turn it right back around and say, Mm. what do you think you should do? You know what you should do. Yeah, that's empowering decision-making and problem-solving. Oh, boy, yeah. That's maybe one of the downsides of the what we call the generation of helicopter parenting is that, and, and I and I'm I'm trying I'm saying that without judgment because I know that sometimes as women we just do what we think is best. Oh sure. And although in reflection they might see that that is the best. Studies show us it's probably not best, but they're doing the best that they can. So not not I'm saying this without judgment, but if we don't empower ch- our children to make decisions and solve problems on yeah. their own. Come the day that they really need to make a decision or or create a solution to a major problem, they're just not going to have the skill yeah. set. This is a skill set. You know, parenting is, uh, you know, being an, an education reporter and now having three kids, like the parenting topics are really big on my social media and the stories mm. that I do. Parenting topics are so big. Mm. And I always say, as hard as it is, hope for problems early. 
hope for them when they are 10 years old so that, yeah. that you can help them navigate it and and they're not out of your house already off at college or moved away, but hope for them so that you can uh, work through them. Such good advice. I mean, that's a big nugget right there. Really hard. And can yeah. I also tell you, as a journalist, one of the greatest struggles that I have is my own fear of things happening to my kids that have happened in the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it is, I actually left the business for two years after some really tough stuff with school shootings. Um, the hardest thing I ever have to report on is um, for death, whatever the case may be, but babies and kids and you know, with the Sandy Hook shootings, um, when that took place, we were on for hours and hours. They were theater shooting when we were on, I don't know how long, 20 hours. One of the victims turned out to be an intern at the TV station. And I started having um, nightmares about my kids. And I knew then I needed to step away. Um, I, I had this recurring nightmare that my kids were being stuffed in cabinets. And that's what happened in the Sandy Hook shootings. The teachers were hiding kids. Oh, man. And I thought, this is too much. I, I don't, and I know the public feels that way. Yeah. I know people want to get away from it. So when I say knowledge is power, you also have to limit yourself. And when you do it day in and day out for hours upon hours, it infiltrates you. You know, your mind is going to become whatever you fill it with. Um, that can be from any TV show or whatever it is. Your mind is going to become that. And so I had to step away. I took I took two years off. I thought really? I was leaving the business permanently. Really? And uh, and then got a fresh perspective. And I, I still love being a storyteller. Yeah. Um, I love the people I work with. So I, I went back with new gusto. But I'm very much more aware of how it affects me personally. Um, when I pull out of my driveway, I still think... Every time I pull out of my driveway, I stop and I turn around and I go, that story of the kid that was run over by their own parent. Like I, those types mm. of things that, you know, it could, it, it's lots of different situations, but those stories, so the bad stories also have a really deep effect. So, I mean, there's some questions we asked earlier we're going to get back to because I want to ask about that okay. because you just brought up something that I think is really critical for you to talk about is how do you manage that? That is a lot of... Yeah. That's a lot of energy in yes. that is an energy that you want to keep when right. you tell the story. And it's not like you're just listening to it or receiving it. Yeah. You're actually vocalizing what has happened. How do you how do you manage that? It's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. And I think for all the storytellers who have to tell the bad stories, you know, it, it'd be nice to just have people ask sometimes, why did you tell more good stories? And I say, Well, we try. But if you're tuning in and the top story is just a happy story, unfortunately, people want to know bad and good happening in the world. And we need to build. Knowledge is power. We have to know what we're up against in the world. Right. So in terms of the energy, I don't know. I still I still struggle with it. Um, I think I'm able to separate myself. Um, I think be, doing what I do can sometimes be not a—I can at all— um, compare myself to an emergency worker, but you think of they have to be able to draw a line and be able to do the job. But then what happens and what I learned after many years when I took that time off is I was able to do that through many shootings and people that I even knew and just devastating situations, but it came back to me later. Mm. And that to me is a lesson for all of us in dealing with it. Don't shove it down, whatever it is. If it's something terrible from your past, it will come back up if you don't find a way 
to work through it and be able to vocalize it, write it down, talk about it, get therapy, whatever it is. You think you're hiding it, Hmm. but it comes back up in another form of your life. For me, I think in some ways it was being an overprotective parent. I would, my oldest, who's my strongest of my three, would say, Mom, I got this. And I go, but can I help? Like, can I, you know, I learned early, she's strong and she's good. But I so wanted to protect her in every way from this dangerous world that I report on every day. Yeah, I could imagine. You're in the trenches. Like, that's literally like in the trenches. Like yeah. take, And you, can, you could potentially take that trauma home. Um, do you have a practice when you go at home when you're done with the day that helps you deal with that? Like, is there something, you know, you talk about, you know, acknowledging that you're feeling it. I think that that's huge. But is there like a release that you can do when you come home? Um, exercise to some extent, mm. hot bath mm. <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, my schedule is so weird. Um, I go, I get up at 2.30 in the morning. Um, I'm to work by 3.30. And then our show, we actually since... Uh, since the bio that you have, we start yeah. at four thirty. Oh yeah. So we it keeps inching back. When I started in the business, we started at six and five thirty-five. We now go on at four thirty. Wow. I don't know who's up watching at four thirty. Maybe I mean I don't know. We should find out because that's really early. I know. <laughs> oh, my You'd be surprised. I mean, <clears throat> people work so hard these days. They get up earlier and stay up later, which concerns me. But I get up at two thirty. I try to go to bed early. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a discipline that I have had to really work on. I also try to grab a nap before I get the kids from school mm. in the afternoon. Um, but I like being busy, so yeah. it's something I struggle with. But in terms of a routine, um, exercise, a hot bath, a reading, yeah. I mean, anything where I can just kind of focus yeah. and center myself. I think all of those things are perfect because they allow you to really just go inward for a little bit yep. Yeah, and cleanse. And I guess that, that also kind of leads back into that or one of those questions I asked, which is, you know, how women, why have we not allowed ourselves to be so forward in our voice and our thinking and our opinions. And um, I mean, you're, you're kind of touching on that because I think that as women, we haven't been very good at taking care of ourselves first and foremost. And I don't think we have something to share if we have an empty cup. So we have to fill up our cup first before we can so share. True. Right. Um, but why do you think that that is? Why have women been so, not just, I mean, even in just in the last hundred years, why have we been so stifled in our comfort to be fully vulnerable and honest? Oh boy, uh, I, that's such a it's such a deep question, mm-hmm. and I've struggled with it because I, um, first of all, I've learned about myself. I did this really great assessment once, and you know, many of the like Myers Briggs and Enneagrams, and a friend of mine. Um, who works with uh, a what lot of individuals? Are you, by the way? I don't remember. It's been Darn so it. long. Darn it! I'd like to know. I'm an eight. That uh, helps. And well, everybody, me, everybody will re- know that I'm an eight if you know me. <laughs> I know, I let me eight. tell you this one, and you'll probably be able to then okay. transcribe it into any okay. So the the one that she does is called a print, and it's for families and then uh, uh, corporations. And so nine different prints, and um, I won't give you all of them, but mine. It's interesting because I think it's what's made me a journalist is first, my first one is a commander. I like to grab the bull by the horns and go, I got this. It's good. Like, I got it. I'm determined. I've always been that way. I've learned to embrace that a little bit more. Um, But very close second, and your top two are really important, is um, an uh, individualist. An individualist would be someone who, on a spectrum of emotions, most people live kind of in the middle. They live on way wider spectrum. Mm. So when I walk into a room, my first concern is, how is she feeling? 
what's going on? Can I help you? Can I fix that? But I battle that with myself because I can't fix everybody's problems. Yeah. But I want to so badly to build that school, to help someone, to fix yeah. the problem, to give them the resource. Um, and in being a storyteller, in interviewing people, when I sit down with them, I just want them to feel comfortable. I just want to like either grab their hands or give them a hug and say, it's going to be okay. I promise you, you can trust me with your story. I'm not yeah. going to do you wrong. And I'm going to make it good for you, not good for me. And so this, this individualist, along with this, like, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns, um, it's, it's helped me mm. in balancing. But I struggle myself with balancing that because I immediately go to the emotion of whatever story or person, and then I forget sometimes what was I supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, which is the beautiful part about being a woman, though, right? This is, you may have stifled that in your past, or, if, I mean, right, I... I think, I think I still do sometimes. Yeah, I think and I have. To, I'm more aware of it now. But though. Maybe, a, maybe at some level, all of us do because that is we're still carrying that weight of a lot of years of. In order to be successful, you have to be like a man because men had the successful jobs, and so to be more like a man, you have to be less emotional. And I'm going to tell you an interesting story that I found. This is so life-changing for me when I heard this. And it was from a, um, a man. His name is Thomas, and he's been on my show before. One of, like, two men, three men I've interviewed on my show. He owns a large tech startup in Colorado, and his company is, like, 40% women, 60% men. But his leadership positions is, like, 8% women. And he wrote an article on LinkedIn about why is this? I provide equal opportunities. And he said he will, in fact, interview the women that apply first because he wants to provide that opportunity. And he asked me something, and we've talked about that, so I won't get into it, but he asked me a question once that it's still today, I can tell you so many times in my life that I did exactly what he asked me, which is when a woman is hired because she's good at what she does, which is part, in a lot of cases, that's because she's a woman. So she brings you know, emotion and empathy into what the work that she does. Why does when she get promoted, does she become more like the men? Why do women often get promoted and take higher level positions in their career, but yet stop being the woman that they were beforehand and try to be more like the men? And I tried to explain to him, you know, he, of course he has, you know, he doesn't understand. He he doesn't understand because he's not a woman. The need for us to feel like we fit in and that we are just as good and to be mm-hmm. judged based on the merit of our job, not on what we look like or who we are, but... His point is, is that oftentimes part of what makes us so great is because we are women. We do have emotion. And that cyclical part of our of our lives, of our body, of our beings, and of what makes us really powerful, when we stifle it, we mm-hmm. lose. Like that's not like losing our mojo. Yep. <laughs> I to- I understand that. But I can I can I can tell you very specific times in my life when I have done exactly that because I thought that was going to make me mm. the equal to appear like the equal, like the others. And I'm like, wow, man, if I would have known this 20 years ago. <laughs> that is so interesting. And and I, I know that I do it. Mm. Um, but I think learning to live on both ends of, if you want to look at that print spectrum, and there are many other prints yeah. along the way from the person who avoids conflict mm. to the person who, and these are things in, in this particular um, tests that you could take. It's more of your motivation in life versus mm. who you are. So what motivates me is getting things done yeah. and the more of the emotional side. Or the, the other part of that individualist, the emotional side, is um, being morally right. 
Mm. For me, that's the journalist too. It was, but that's not right. And that can drive me crazy. My husband will go like, okay, you you can take a step back. Now I'm like, but I can't stand it. He said, but you can't change it. But it really, it just, you know how something can get under your skin. And for me... I think that's part of the journalist side too, and what happened. You with the might school. be an Enneagram Eight. You I might think be I like might me. Be. I'll look because back everything you're time. saying is just like me. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's very possible <laughs> you're an Eight. <laughs> but I hide that. Sometimes I do find that I hide that um, emotional side, just mm. like you said, because I'm afraid that people will look and go, "Well, I can't take her seriously," especially when I'm reporting the news. I mean, I had to walk off the set in tears over some of these stories over the years. Mm. And I remember grabbing my co-anchor's arm and going, I can't. I just can't. I mean, these are people with kids and their lives and the change. And then I kind of gather myself and I go, I can do this. I'm good. But then I take it home. Yeah. And so finding the way to release that energy. But I've always yeah. I've always looked at my job as um, being able to be um, a good journalist means being nurturing. Because people listening, some I think, need that. So I've, I've tried to always be newsworthy and nurturing. And I think that that's, you know, we have so many journalists now who just kind of attack and just go in there. And that's not me at all. Um, you know, I can get to business and, and certainly be serious. But I think it's important in this day and age that we have a nurturing side to that as well. Yeah. I really like, I really like the approach that you take. Um, I think part of what I'm really pleased that you shared today was that it is okay to have some emotion when you're getting down to business. I mean, that is, that's in everything we do. Mm-hmm. You can actually take that, anybody that's listening, you can take that into any area of your life. That is a really important facet is to bring, allow that emotion. I mean, sometimes it's not the right time to express it, but not to stifle it yeah. in everything that you do. And you can still get down to business and do that. You know, you know Oprah Winfrey's story, right? That she started as a journalist and yes. she was fired, yes. right? Because she mm-hmm. uh, cried telling a story, and it sticks with me a little bit now because I think look um, where it led her. Look where we all look. <laughs> I mean that, yeah. Look where it led her. Number one, but number two, she decided not to stop that. And I think that there are, are are women today that are recognizing that yeah, there's a place for our emotion. It doesn't mean we have to stifle it. Maybe we'll choose to do that in private if we're a private person, or maybe we choose to be, you know, a little more public in it. But that we sh- are okay to feel it and acknowledging it. Yeah, I really like that you're sharing that message today, especially for someone who is has a very successful career in TV and which is primarily a male dominated industry. And um, I cannot, I can only imagine. <laughs> what you've had to overcome to stay relevant, right? I don't even know how much I can say <laughs> over yeah. the years, 20 wow. years. And the, the business has changed so much, um, so much in 20-some years. You know, when I uh, when I first started, the internet wasn't as big. I remember yeah. the first time, you probably do too, I'm like, I'm surfing the web. <laughs> this is really cool. I'm pretty sure it was on one of those old Macs. Yeah, like, yeah. totally. <laughs> but the, But... You know, so much television in my business is an advertising business. And so now advertisers have so many other places to go online, mm-hmm. a multiple, you know, however many cable channels. And so the, the model of the business has had to change. Um, but in the course of my career early on, I can, I can say that my co-anchors have always, especially early, made at least twice as much as me. So being a woman who's trying wow. to prove herself, doing the same thing, the same job. As a matter of fact, in one of my uh, jobs early in my 20s, 
uh, my co-anchor was fired for sexual harassment, and I carried the show for a full year, evening shows, six, 5, 6, 10 o'clock news, carried the show as a solo anchor, and then they hired someone coming in at two to three times my salary. And the ratings were good in that time when I was like, so it's just been something throughout my career. I'm like, well, I'm a woman. I'm going to have to deal with this. But I've never let it, like, I hate this and I can't do it and I'm going to stomp my way in. I've just said, I will prove myself. And it's not all about money. It's being able to tell stories. It's gratifying to me. I hope I'm helping the community. Um, but but that is um, still unnerving. It was still always an issue. Yeah. Did you Were you able to advocate for yourself and equalize that, that pay gap? Um, later in my career, and I think some of that um, came with experience. Yeah. Um, in having done it for a, a long time and awards along the way, and you know, you, you just build that credibility. I also also can actually just see in the back of your mind. I can I can I mean I, I'm just in visually in, envisioning what goes on inside your head. It's all right. That's fine. Bring it. Like, Great. Do you uh, know? Bring it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to so show you. <laughs> you just reminded me of a female mentor that I had early in my career who was the head of my station, not nearly as common, having a woman mm. who was the head of TV station. And we had a conflict, I don't even remember what it was, with a company who came to the station upset about something. And she said, bring it on. And I'll never forget it because as a young woman, I looked at the head of this company and I went, yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, Instead amazing. of that, like, I'm scared of what's going to happen. And, and I do that now when it comes to an issue. And with the kids, too, when something happens, I say, it's okay. Tell them to bring it on. Yeah. Like, it's good. Yeah, that's amazing. Listen, I don't know how to thank you enough for being willing to thank you for having you know, me. make some time to we come and share forever. your wisdom. I know. Well, I'm pretty sure we're going to. <laughs> and we're definitely going to get you some more mics so you can keep talking and sharing. Um, so if people, I know that you don't really do a lot of personal social media. You do a little. But is there anywhere you want anybody to follow you? Or do you want to send them to your station somewhere sure. where people can go and learn more? Yeah. So the station here in Denver is Channel 2. I do the morning show. Um, I do have a website, natalietisdall.com. I'll put that um, in the show notes. Yeah, I love that. And um, my social media, I'm really active. Active on social media, I love connecting. Okay, with good. That I just way. wasn't sure because sometimes you, you know people don't like sharing social personal social media, but I, that's how I um, get a lot of stories, and that's often how I connect with people. So okay. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I'll tag I those all. in the show notes so people thank know how you. to reach you. And thank you again for joining me. And for people, if you're in Denver, come to Workability like we are here. I think I'm going to go have another waffle. And you know what? I just saw three dogs. I go was by. just going to say <gasps> I'm going to go get some pet therapy. <laughs> oh my god! It just happened. I'm I like, oh it. my gosh, she's so cute. Look. I love it. And anyway, I really appreciate you, Natalie, and I look forward to all the things that we can do together coming up. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you. you. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, my name is Les Conley, and as producer of this show, I enjoy listening right along with you. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow Grit and Grace so that we can keep you up to date on all the exciting shows coming your way. Please check the show notes for links to our guests and feel free to contact us for more information. Taver Lee is a social impact entrepreneur and she can be found at taverlee.com. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E.com. We know your time is extremely valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Thank you.